The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Um, is the sound good? Is everyone can hear? Great. Thank you. <clears throat> So um, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, begin with um, a little story about uh, uh, one of the monks at Ashram Brahm's monastery. And um, Ashram Brahm is um, the abbot of uh, a monastery in Western Australia that's kind of remote. And um, so it's not very easy to get, you know, back and forth to town, and, and when people need to see the doctor, it's like quite a, quite a trek. And, you know, monks don't drive, so it's always not so convenient. And um, one of the monks was having um, a lot of dental problems. And, um, you know, he'd gone back there once to the dentist, and, you know, and again, the problem, a different problem started. And, um, you know, so, you know, Ajahn Brahm was walking around and at the monastery, and he sees that, that monk uh, standing by the woodshed with um, uh, pliers and a bloody tooth. <laughs> and, you know, and he realizes uh, how, that he dealt with this problem. And uh, he asked him, you know, how, how did you do that? You know, what, you know, how were you able to do that? And the monk said, well, you know, when he had the idea, he, you know, he was resting in his kuti and uh, he decided to do this. He asked himself, you know, uh, you know, he had a dull, right at that point, the pain was dull. He says, well, you know, does it hurt? I'm, you know, pulling the tooth right this moment. He said, no, doesn't doesn't hurt now. So he started walking to the shed, and he asked himself, well, does it hurt now? Nope. And he kept walking to the shed, holds the door open. Nope, doesn't hurt. And then he put the pliers to his tooth, and he asked himself, does it hurt? No. He yanked, you know, and uh, it was, why that hurt? You know, and, um, you know, and then it was over, you know, and... Um, and, you know, the moral, of course, is the fact that he didn't spend all that time caught in dread and anticipation. How much more suffering do we cause ourselves to avoid that one moment of pain or that very short period of pain? You know, we can spend weeks in that state, some of us, uh, just avoiding that. And... Um, I told the story to uh, one of my students, you know, and he came back to me like a, a couple of months later and said, you know, I just used that when I went to get my blood drawn, you know. He said he used to dread getting his blood drawn for days before. And he said, I just kept asking myself, is it hurting now? No. Nope. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, this, this brings me to the topic of, the, of this talk, which is investigation. And um, that was what uh, he was actually doing, investigating what's happening right now. You know, it's not the imagination of, of, you know, what's, you know, the dread, the fear. What's happening right now, there's no pain. And right now, uh, if we just keep coming back to that, you know, what's happening here? What's happening now? Um, And that's the wisdom that can come from investigation. Um, 
the Buddha taught that everything we need to learn on the path to freedom um, can be discovered through our own powers of investigation. Everything. Um, you know, and he basically, what he taught us is to train that ability, um, you know, to, to develop that power investigation that really sees clearly what's happening at any given moment. Um, you know, a lot of us, um, you know, who grew up with TV shows and things like that, you know, and uh, there are a lot of crime shows, you know, there's always like the investigation, right? And the investigation always in my mind was like, you know, this, um, you know, they're trying to solve a crime. And, but, you know, what it, what it has in common with the investigation that we use in practice is that in, in the crime scene, they're looking at the details of the crime scene. What are all the details there? And they're looking for what's out of place, what's something unusual, you know, so they're just noticing everything that there is. And in a very similar way, we do that with when we investigate our own minds. We know we'll look at the details of our experience. What's really happening here? Not what we want to be happening here, but what's really happening here. And we notice, instead of what's out of place or doesn't belong, we notice what causes us stress, what causes us contraction, what we're pushing away, what we're pulling towards us. So we notice those things. And when we notice those things, it gives us a choice. You know, we can either continue, you know, pushing something away, or we can just look again. Oh, what's happening here? Oh, look, this is how pushing something away feels like. And so, and this is like the power that we develop, the ability to keep uh, seeing what's here, and when stress arises in any form, uh, to make the choice to let go of the stress in whatever way, uh, skillful way we find. Um, you know, meditation and um, in med- in inside meditation, uh, mindfulness and an investigation go hand in hand. They work together. Most of the time, when we're applying it, we're not we don't we're not thinking of applying investigation. You're just doing it. Um, and for instance, if um, one way to think of it is like when we're looking at the um, at the breath. You know, think of it like an apple instead, okay? You're looking at an apple, and you know it's an apple. You know you recognize it, and, and you're paying enough attention that you know it's an apple in your hand. But if you investigate it, you'll go, wow, that's got you know, a lot of red on this side, some green over here, and, um, you know, wow, this one's kind of a flat-looking apple. I had one of those the other day. It was just the flattest apple I'd ever seen. It was just like kind of squished. And, um, you know, so you see all those little details, um, and, um, you know, the mindfulness just sees that the apple is there. And then you have the quality of the concentration that keeps you paying attention. So you're looking at the apple, and suddenly you're somewhere else, right? And concentration says, no, this is the task at hand. Let's look at this apple. Uh, and so you've got all these three qualities that are kind of working together. So when we're watching the breath and, and we're you know, just knowing we're watching the breath, and then we start fading away, and like kind of the mind gets dull, we can apply a little more, oh, what's really happening here? And you start looking at the little details, 
And there's such a difference in the breath sometimes when you're kind of seeing it, like, oh, yeah, uh-huh, in, out, one, two. Or you're, like, really right there, you know. Sometimes um, I've used the term um, caressing the breath. You know, it's like if you're caressing a young child or, or a dog you love, you're not spaced out, kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm caressing the dog. You know, but you're like, you know, enjoying it. There's an engagement in it. And so sometimes, you know, with the breath, you know, it can bring that intimacy with the breath, that really being there with it very closely. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, it's not that everything we do uh, all forms of investigation are, are tiny in detail. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it's like looking through a microscope, right? And you have, it, have most of you looked through a micro- microscope once, you know, or seen pictures, you know, and, and God, it's so alive in there sometimes. There's so much going on, um, you know, blood cells or, um, you know, I saw... Uh, um, Vitamin C, you know, in, in one of those really ultra microscopes, you know, and it looked like this incredible mandala. It was just beautiful. And so, you know, if you, you look really closely, things open up in a different way, you know. But then at other times, what's useful in practice is to open up the vision, open up your uh, scope of attention and make it broader. And it's kind of like looking at the night sky, looking at the telescope, through a telescope, right? You see millions of details out there. You know, it's not you're going to focus on all of them, right? That you look at bananas. Uh, but you just, um, yeah, getting a fruit salad here, apple, banana. Uh, um, so it's, it gets really big. And, but it, within that largeness, uh, we see different kind of details. And... Um, you know, and same thing in meditation, you know, sometimes, like, you know, if the mind's really sluggish, you know, I'm sure all of you have experienced a little bit of that sloth and torpor that happens on occasion, you know, where it just starts drifting, and, you know, paying really close attention can really uh, help, and really noticing those really minute parts of the breath. But if you're... Um, um, really restless mind, you know, uh, it can be really helpful to uh, open up the attention really big, give it room. Um, the, the image we use sometimes is the image of uh, wild horses. You know, we put them in a corral, you know, and they're really miserable, right? They're, they, they're just, you know, trying to get out. And you put them in a wide pasture, and they're moving fast and happily, but they're, they're just so, so beautiful and graceful. And, and so a, a fast mind, a busy mind, a restless mind, we don't have to change it. We just have to know, oh, it's a restless, busy mind. We don't have to push it away. We, we see it. We investigate it. What is it like to have a busy mind? Oh, it's beautiful. It's like wild horses right there. You know, it's like we can allow it, allow it to be that way. Um, you know, we can say there's um, like two aspects to investigation. Um, there's seeing what's there, right? This is a piece of paper. Uh, this is a bell, you know, seeing the details of my environment, 
you know, and I sat down, I looked really carefully that I didn't sit on anything, especially the microphone. Um, you know, so you see those details. Um, but the other part of investigation in, in the practice, in the Dharma, is the discernment, the ability to see distinctions between things, right? The details, the distinctions, but to see which ones are helpful in terms of freeing the heart, freeing the mind, and which ones actually aren't helpful. You know, such as, um, you know, we're, we're meditating and, and suddenly we find ourselves in this wonderful fantasy. I mean, it's really enjoyable. You know, it doesn't seem like it's causing us any dukkha at that moment, any stress. It's just a wonderful fantasy. You know, and the mind goes, oh, I'm, you know, there's, uh, I'm in a, just spend some glad time in my fantasy. I kind of want to go back to it. It was really juicy, you know. And, um, you know, but investigation says, is, is this forward leading to the reason you're actually here? Why are you here? Right? You're, you took this time to meditate, right? You can fantasize any time. It's not, it's not bad. It's not a wrong thing. It just isn't what you're doing. And so it sees, it discerns. That's not helpful for what we're trying to do here, which is train the mind, train the mind. You know, it's not making that wrong. And, you know, and I, that's such an important point because I know that, um, um, you know, how many of you have had a meditation and said that was a bad sitting? You know, you may not have said it out loud, but, you know, but, but you've thought that, right? You know, and, um, and that piece of, of um, unhelpful thinking um, is a really important piece because... Um, you know, we're training, we're not training the mind to stay on the breath. We're not training the mind to stay concentrated. We're training the mind to be free of attachment. That's what we're training the mind. And so sometimes we get stuck and we mistake that. We think that the, um, the purpose of the meditation was for it to be a certain way. But the purpose of meditation is to show up enough that we see how we cause our own suffering. And the more clearly we see that, the easier it is to begin to have it fade away and to, and to let go of it. And so when we think that's a bad meditation, that moment is a moment of not seeing clearly. You know, what did we learn? You know, how do we, how do we meet... Uh, or experience when it's not what we want. Um, the other image sometimes I have is that, um, um, you know, I'm walking down a path, I'm hiking, you know, and there's the road in the, you know, the, the traditional uh, fork in the road, and uh, on the left is the, is the way I always go home, it's the short way. You know, and on the right, it's a little bit longer, longer way, so I rarely take it. And as I'm walking, you know, I'm, I'm kind of really want to get home already, you know, and so I'm ready to go, go left. But all of a sudden, because I'm being mindful and investigating, I notice that path is really muddy. It's really muddy right now. And the other path is kind of on the sunny side, and it's pretty dry. And, and uh, so I make a choice. I'm going to take this side because this is taking me home. This is taking me home in an easier way. 
It doesn't make the other path bad or wrong or a failure or anything. It's just how it is. Right now, that's not helpful. And so when the um, torments of the mind rise, right, you know, that we all have these universal things that happen in our minds, you know, where we're contracted and, and unhappy about our experience, when those things arise, Oh, that's what arose. It's not wrong for being there. You know, we investigate it. And that investigation of that is a wholesome factor of mind. We are already transforming it. For instance, if um, your habit of mind is worrying, right? Some, some people really worry a lot. They're always worrying about stuff, right? So the moment you see, oh, that's worry, you're no longer worrying, you're now investigating. You've already changed the picture. You've already opened the container up. And this is actually the way to freedom from worry. When we do that, it weakens that habit of worry. Every time, it weakens that habit of worry. So when the meditation um, ends and we're unhappy with what happened, we investigate that unhappiness. Oh, I had an expectation. You know, I wanted, to, I didn't get things my way. You know, that's, that's the Dharma, the teachings of the Dharma. You know, getting, getting what we want, uh, you know, needing to get what we want, trying to always get what we want is what causes suffering. You know, life is going to give us at least half of what we don't want. You know, and so really being able to be happy whether we get what we want or we don't get what we want. <clears throat> You know, how we investigate, you know, um, when we're relaxed and we're paying attention, investigation just shows up. You know, if you've, have you ever had um, a wonderful conversation with a friend and you're just interested, you're not working at it, you're not uh, doing anything difficult, you're just there, you're enjoying the conversation, you're just interested. And in the same way, um, you know, if we're interested in the breath and we're noticing the details, we're not working at it. Um, But when we get caught by something, um, it's very easy to lose that relaxation, right? When we get caught by, um, let's say, um, you know, one of my favorite um, hindrances has always been noise while I'm meditating, you know, uh, that has gotten me caught, you know, a really loud noise. Like, um, um, we used to live in the desert in this really beautiful, pristine space, two and a half acres. It was so beautiful and quiet. And all of a sudden, at 6.30 in the morning, these young guys in their motorcycles would come through the dirt roads and just circle the area over and over and over again. You know, and I would just, oh, rage would rise. And, <laughs> and um, you know, meditating, yes, rage would arise, you know. And, uh, and, you know, and so how do you meet that? How do you meet that? You know, there was the displeasure of the noise, very unpleasant, and it came and, and went, came and went, you know. And then there was the idea that how dare they? They shouldn't be doing this. There's all this extra stuff that came up. 
all this extra stuff. And I kept, um, you know, negotiating my mind, how do I fix it, you know? Um, You know, get a water pistol, you know? (laughs) Uh, All sorts of creative ideas, right? Um, And, um, you know, but, but, you know, what's really important is what do we do in our own heart? You know, how do we meet those things in our own heart? Um, I remember being really impressed when uh, I heard that, um, uh, I think Bernie Glassman, I think was his name, um, you know, was a Zen teacher. He used to, he held uh, um, these 10-day retreats um, under a bridge, under a very busy bridge where cars were going, freeway, freeway bridge. And um, and everybody who took the retreat was supposed to uh, have no money, no possessions, um, and just come as they are, you know, and just to live there that way with nothing, and for ten days, you know, and uh, um, you know, and that's really the practice of letting go of really, okay, can we be at peace in ourselves when we're not getting what we want? You know, when things aren't the way we want them to be, including our mind state. And that's the really, the real key thing here, is to be okay even when our mind state isn't okay. And so, for instance, you know, when I was like very, um, uh, very, very angry and uptight, and, and I go, I'm, I'm meditating, right? Yeah, I'm going to do some loving kindness towards those assholes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, that, that was the state of my mind, you know. And then, you know, it finally arose the memory of, of um, Ajahn Sumedho talking about affectionate curiosity, you know. And that's how he likes to describe curiosity, the quality of mind that's affectionate. You know, this, it's not curiosity for curiosity's sake, it's a friendly curiosity. And so I turned the affectionate curiosity towards my anger and turmoil and, and really saw that pain in myself. You know, how much worse it was than that unpleasant noise. God, it was so much worse than that unpleasant noise. You know, so I was able to really apply that, you know, that, that kind, um, you know, it's a little bit, um, you know, when our mind's having a tantrum, you know, not different than when a four-year-old's having a tantrum, right? It's pretty similar, you know, a lot of that, that, you know, I didn't get my ice cream and the whole world's falling down on my head because I didn't get my ice cream. You know, it's really serious matter, you know, for, to that four-year-old. And, and so that's what our mind's doing. It's having a tantrum, right? And so with a child, you go, you kind of smile, you go, oh, you know, this sweet, affectionate, you know, oh, look at how they're doing that. Let me just support them while they have their tantrum, and, and it'll be over. And, and, you know, and again, we can do that with our own mind. You know, we can do that with ourselves. You know, wherever we find contraction, we can, we can bring kindness. You know, investigation gives us that choice. Investigation shows us we're not trapped in that, in, in that turmoil. Uh, that we have a choice to be mindful, to see what's here, and to let go of what we can let go. Not to force ourselves to let go, but to let go of what lets go, relax into the turmoil. You know, allow it to move through us. Every form of turmoil, every emotion, every contraction comes and goes eventually.
you know, one of the things that we often forget <clears throat> is that um, we actually can choose what thoughts we're, we're going to have in some way by um, just by changing what we're paying attention to, what the focus of our attention is. You know, for instance, um, um, you know, if let's say we're in the car, um, uh, if saw these puddles here, so this is appropriate in my mind. So, and we find we've got a flat tire, you know, and uh, and so we get out of the car, and you know, we've done everything we need to do. We call work. We say we're going to be late, and you know, we call AAA to help us, you know, come and change our tire. And um, and then we just have to wait, right? And you know, day like today, you know, it's um, you know, and we can sit there, and you know, and our mind can just be focused on, oh God, I'm you know, I'm going to be late. I'm going to have all this work to do. Da da da. All the stuff that goes on through mind that's worried and and having an unpleasant experience, right? Or we can actually shift our attention to what's here. You know, oh, it's a beautiful day, beautiful sky. You know, and it's the same thing we do in our meditation, right? You know, we're caught up in worry. We don't have to keep, you know, uh, kind of uh, scratching at that scab. You know, it's like, uh, you know, the worry, that cycle of worry or cycle of planning where we're just, um, you know, massaging it to death, you know. And so we can just uh, shift the attention to... Oh, look from to a little bigger point of view, you know, watching it. You know, it's like, oh, look at that worry going on, you know, see what's happening. You know, look at the how the body feels with that worry. You know, I'm not relaxed. Can I relax into it and allow the worry, not make it wrong, not oh we gotta go away, go away, you know. No, you know, we we, we just allow it to be there until it goes away. It will go away in its own when we give it room, when we give it space. And when we give it uh, curiosity, you know. Um, when we're caught in something, um, you know, sometimes, you know, when things are simple in meditation, it's very simple to investigate. But sometimes when the mind is caught in a hindrance and it's, it feels like very complicated, you know. And so one of the ways that I investigate, uh, you know, since it just feels like too confusing to know what do I investigate here? What do I pay attention to? There's so much chaos going on in my mind. And so I look to the body first, you know, uh, how's the body? Is the body relaxed here? Because we can't have a, we don't have contracted states in the mind without something contracting in the body. And then um, I might notice. Uh, then I go to the heart, to the to the emotional state. You know, how how are my emotions right now? You know, and um, and that's where I notice. Uh, um, I might notice I'm unhappy. Um, with uh, what's happening. This is just such a, you know, terrible meditation, a terrible, terrible meditator. And that's, well, that's more the cognitive side, you know, because these ideas, if I was a good meditator, this wouldn't be happening, right? I wouldn't be here. Um, If I was a mature person, I wouldn't be having these immature thoughts. 
um, if I was, you know, all these ideas that we have in our minds. So we notice how we feel about things. Maybe there's uh, um, fear going on. Maybe there's um, sadness going on. Maybe we're lonely. All these different things that human beings can experience. So look to the body, to the feelings, to the thoughts about how we are. And we also can look to a motivation. You know, it's, it's obvious the body, heart, and mind, you know, those are the things that are there all the time. But our motivation is something that can get away from us. We, we, they can go unseen. And, and really, this is, in some ways, it's like right at the heart of the practice. Are we wanting, or are we wanting to push something away? And that sometimes is just, you know, that all our miseries, I want something. I want a better meditation. I want it to be more fulfilling. I want, 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 want. And that moving forward doesn't allow us to see what's here, to be with this. You know, or you don't like what you're, you know, what you're feeling, you want to push it away. You know, wanting it to go away, wanting things to change. Neither it, it's funny, in some ways it's exactly the same thing, not wanting things the way they are, you know, wanting them to be different. But sometimes we experience it as wanting to have something else, and sometimes we experience it as wanting to push away what's there. And so however you feel it in the moment, what your experience is in the moment... And, you know, and I'll just say a general rule that I really appreciate, you know, when I heard this many years ago, um, if we're struggling, anytime we're struggling, something is being left out of our attention. It's kind of an interesting thought if you really bring that to heart. Whenever we're struggling, even when we're struggling um, um, doing something physical, you know, um, it may be, for instance, um, you know, I remember when I was learning to um, uh, use a hammer, you know, and I just kept trying to control the experience, right, you know, to, you know, to get it just right, you know, and it felt like a struggle, you know, and, um, you know, it really took convincing for me to let go. You know, and it's not that I didn't miss, you know, I missed plenty, you know, but but the trust to let go, you know, and at that point, I, I stopped struggling to try to get it right. And that made all the difference in the world, to stopping the struggle. You know, so anytime we're struggling in our own minds and our own hearts, you know, there's something we're not seeing. It may be difficult. Whatever we need to do, it might be difficult. But there's a difference between doing something difficult, you know, like climbing a mountain where it's really, you know, steep and you've been going for an hour and your legs are really tired. It's difficult. But you don't have to struggle. It's just difficult. It's just unpleasant. It might be very unpleasant. But we don't have to struggle with it. We don't have to add all this other stuff. And so... If we're struggling, what are we not seeing? Aversion, right? We don't like the fact that it's hard. And we're adding that to our experience of difficulty, which is a burden, actually. If we're just with the difficult, it's not as hard as if we're with the difficult and then with the attitude that it shouldn't be this way. That adds a lot of extra. 
you know, the investigation and the deeper practices of meditation, you know, it's called um, the tool, tool for wisdom. You know, Dhamma Vichaya, it's the, um, the wisdom that arises from this. And this really points to the discerning aspect of investigation, the part that sees what's helpful, what's forward-leading, and what's not helpful. And, um, you know, this is uh, um, insight meditation. And at every level of practice, we have different types of insights that arise. You know, when we're um, sometimes listening to Dharma talk, we can have very very wonderful insights. You know, sometimes a teacher says something and it really resonates with us. You know, I'm sure all of you have been coming regularly. You know, it's one of the things that brings you back is is so much resonates with something inside you that knows a lot. The Dharma is true. You know, this this stuff is true. It works. Um, And... um, and, you know, and then there's this, we uh, investigate maybe while we're meditating, you know, and all these, um, uh, um, the mind is having trouble stabilizing, you know, and we have the understanding that in investigation that if we just uh, really pay attention to the breath, the mind eventually calms. Yeah, oh, it does actually calm. And at some point it becomes really something we understand. We, we, it's an insight into the way our mind works. And also at other times, in, you know, or personal stories show up. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example of, like, for me, one of the, um, one of the things that happened to me, uh, I noticed on retreat, you know, I was meditating and I would notice um, that there was just something wasn't quite, quite right, you know. It's like I was staying on the breath, I was calm, but there was just like this overall tone in my mind that was just slightly off. And I, and I, I just couldn't pinpoint it, but I just kept practicing, practicing, and looking more carefully. And what I noticed is that every time my mind drifted, when it came back, I'd feel like I had failed you know, for having gone away. And that habit of thinking that every time I went, my mind drifted, I had failed, was so strong in me. I watched it time after time. Even while I'm watching it, it's like going, it's doing it again, wow. You know, that, that sinking feeling of failure, that sinking feeling of failure. And so I watched it for a really long time as it slowly got a little bit less. And I wasn't drifting that much. It was, it was interesting because it was a, um, on a daily uh, meditation, I would have thought I was doing really well. But on retreat, you know, I'm expecting it to be much less drifting, you know, mm-hmm. and expectation, of course. And so, um, you know, and as, as uh, I started seeing it more and more carefully, you know, I started getting more affectionate to it, you know, more soft with it. More, and as it finally just kind of faded, you know, so I don't, that doesn't just doesn't arise anymore for me. Um, but things like that don't necessarily go away with one time of seeing them. I mean, I don't want to give you that false idea. Uh, some things do, but a lot of things, you know, it takes years sometimes for some of those things to um, to be let go of, you know. And um, I've learned not to, um, you know, I've learned to accept what lets go and uh, and accept what doesn't let go yet, 
You know, that's been a big part of my practice is, is, uh, is seeing that the things we're still holding on to are there, you know, and it's part of the wisdom we have. Um, you know, and often we, you know, we have what I call personal insights, you know, and I've mentioned, um, you know, the mind can have repetitive patterns, you know, that whenever the mind isn't focusing on something, it has a fallback, right? And for some people, that fallback might be planning. You know, how many of you did some planning while you're meditating, right? You know, it's, um, oh, this is what I'm going you know, to do later, okay. Um, and, you know, but most of the planning we do in meditation is actually often not useful planning. It's often just compulsive planning that isn't particularly helpful. Um, you know, and these are personal insights when we see this inside ourselves. And again, we don't force ourselves to stop planning, but we see what, what's driving that planning. You know, what's driving that? Um, you know, for myself, because, you know, I'm a really good planner. I mean, you know, it's a skill and, and um, it was always my tendency to do this in meditation too. Um, but part of planning for me was enjoyable. You know, I like planning. You know, it's fun. And but when it's fun, I feel happy. You know, it's like oh, let's let's plan this project together. You know, it's always fun and exciting. But often, I'd find the planning in meditation was not that kind of planning; it was the other kind. And um, it would be this uh, kind of contracted. You know, oh, we're having friends over for dinner. I'm going to make blah 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 blah. Well, maybe I'll make this. Maybe I'll sit this person over here. Maybe I'll do this. You know, and just these kind of you you know unhelpful things that arise from this anxiety or worry underneath, you know, and as, as we get curious about it, you know, we don't, we don't need to shove it away and go back to the breath. You know, we just get curious about it and we notice, oh, this is how worry feels, that anxiety feels in my body. This is what's here. Oh, okay, I can relax into it. I can allow that. I don't have to fight it. And it will go away. It will just move, move away. It will change. Everything changes, right? Including worry and planning. And we allow it, and as we return, we return without that have been wrong, that having been something that we blew, you know. It's just, oh, back home, welcome home, nice to be back, you know. And, and, um, and so we're developing a wholesome attitude in our, in our entire meditation, in the times when things arise that are contracted and difficult, and in the times when things feel like they're wonderful. You know, it's a wholesome attitude of mind, of heart. Um, you know, and when, when the awakening factor of investigation is really well-established, you know, and, and this is where... Um, Retreat practice can really help take us much deeper into this. And um, we can see, um, you know, we start seeing, investigating much subtler levels of reality. So instead of noticing kind of the, the grossness of, oh, my stomach feels tight, uh, you know, not gross, but, you know, they're, they're, it, there's so much more subtleness we start experiencing. And we start seeing that everything on a very deep level arises and passes away. We all know, we all know intellectually that everything's impermanent, right? Nobody would argue with that. 
you know, that everything is, you know, is impermanent. Um, and everything goes away. There's nothing we'll ever be able to keep. So intellectually we realize that if everything's going away, nothing can make us permanently happy, right? You know, so um, as we practice in the deeper levels of practice, we start seeing that kind of in a bone-deep level that's just so much deeper that... um, it's not in the intellect. It's nonverbal. It's a nonverbal knowing that nothing out there is going to satisfy. That there's nowhere out there to look for the satisfaction. There's nothing in here to look for satisfaction. Um, you know, and it's a letting go. It's a letting go, a deeper and deeper letting go. And that's the why investigation is the tool of wisdom, because it it brings us to the realization, which is not, again, not an intellectual realization, that there's nothing worth holding on to. You know, there's nothing worth grabbing on to, grasping. You know, and the, that freedom that comes from that is what allows a very deep peace. You know, and we can touch on that at times, and we can um, live with it at times, and sometimes it just arises for little pieces here and there. But however it is, this, this is the path of practice. This is where the practice takes us, to the point of you know, not grabbing onto anything, you know, to these fleeting lives, these fleeting bodies. You know, these, um, um, you know, everything, um, everything in life, the trees, the beautiful trees. And so it calls us to just be here, be here with what's here. Our lives here, not in the future when we become good meditators. You know, it's kind of this beautiful balance in the practice between uh, being fully here and yet um, being on a path that's forward-leading. You know, stepping here, 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 but yet also knowing that we're forward-leading, developing our minds, developing in the direction of freedom. So I'm going to just end with a very short quote by Ashan Shah. Peace within us is to be found in the same place as agitation and suffering. It's not found in a forest or a hilltop, nor is it given by a teacher. Where you experience suffering you can also find freedom from suffering. Trying to run away from suffering is actually running towards it. So thank you all.